Well, peace be with you. Assurance, or the doctrine of assurance. Okay, so this is maybe something you haven't heard of before, the doctrine of assurance. But it's really something that I think that a lot of us have thought about uh, through the years and we've discussed. Maybe we even have concerns about, although we don't use that language. And so assurance, or the teaching of assurance, is really about being sure or confident that God's promises are actually for you. That you are right with God, that he has in fact adopted you into his family, that your, your faith in Jesus is genuine, that you are saved, and that when one day you get to the gates of heaven, you will be right with God. Uh, because some people struggle with this, and so we just need to be honest, right? Uh, we wonder, is that, is that true? Am I, am I sincere in my faith? Am I only just giving it lip service? Well, one day it'd be found out that I'm a hypocrite. Well, one day will I go up to the gates of heaven to meet my maker and receive a very unpleasant surprise. And, and some people, they read through passages in Scripture, and it makes them wonder, right? In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does my Father who is in heaven. And we see ourselves, and there's some good stuff, but there's a lot of sin and brokenness and mistakes. And we think, well, maybe, maybe that's me, Right? We've been going through a series on spiritual gifts that wrapped up last week, and I said every genuine follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift. And maybe you've struggled to found your, find your spiritual gift or you're still doing that discerning, and you think, well, maybe the reason I'm not quite sure what it is is because maybe I'm not genuine in my faith, and maybe I don't have one. Now, through history, people have wrestled with this. Am I a genuine follower? Am I sincere? A Martin Luther, we know as the great a German reformer, Uh, Before he became the Protestant reformer that we know, he was uh, a monk, and he really just racked his brain and his conscience about about sin, and he prayed about it, and he was so worried that he wasn't sincere in his faith. He would pray, do acts of charity. There are records that say that Martin Luther went to a priest to confess his sins and sometimes was there for six hours at a time. He was so concerned and diligent that he wants, to, he wants to just confess absolutely everything. And then after, he would still have this problem of conscience because he'd think like, maybe there was something I missed and because I didn't say it or confess it, I'm not forgiven for it. And he would just have this kind of existential crisis. Barry Cooper, you know, from Ligonier Ministries, he struggled with this, and he shares with this on his podcast, and he talks about how, you know, there would be altar calls in different denominations, and he would come to the front, or he would say the sinner's prayer, giving his life uh, to God, but still, as he grew, he thought, you know what, am I really sincere in that, or was I just faking it? And so in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes these words, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And so that's what we're going to spend some time uh, doing this morning. And I just want to say this to you. I think that uh, what we're about to learn, uh, I hope, and it's my prayer, that it will make you uh, increasingly confident. Uh, I hope that it gives you comfort. And I hope that it will give you encouragement, especially for people who have ever wrestled with these types of questions. And what we're going to explore is three historic grounds of assurance Again, kind of strange phrasing, but it's really three reasons to be confident that our faith is genuine. And I'm building on the insights from a Puritan named William Perkins. And so modifying his language a little bit, he wrote quite a long time ago and building on some of his uh, insights. So that's going to be our trajectory today. Now, to set the broad picture for this topic, we're going to start with Ephesians 1 and 2. So Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 6. Then we're going to jump to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you've got a Bible, you can open it. That's great. Uh, If not, 
uh, we'll have the words up there on the screen. This sets the big picture trajectory for this. Now, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, of course, mid-first century, to the Christians in Ephesus, large city, about 500,000 people. And uh, he's really writing, and you get the sense as you read through, uh, he's, he's writing to people who are fairly new converts, and so he's giving them some big picture information about how God works in the world and about uh, the Christian uh, life. Beginning at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, saints just means God's people, holy ones, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. These intros, we can kind of skip over them sometimes. He's already called God Father twice. It's not insignificant and weaves into his larger theme. Our God, our King, is, is a Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, holy means set apart. doesn't mean perfect. Set apart for a special purpose. In love, he predestined us, meaning he chose us in advance, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Adoption, adoption, love, kindness, adoption. That's a key theme. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, which is a reference to Jesus. Okay, this sets the big, uh, the big picture. Let's skip to chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons or sons and daughters of disobedience. So prince of the power of the air is one of Paul's terms for the evil one. So the devil, uh, sons, or sons and daughters of disobedience, unbelievers. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, grace. This is key. So what is grace? Grace is generosity that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. By grace you have been saved, not because you're such a moral superstar. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Famous verse coming up, verse 8. Someone want to grab the door maybe? For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So here Paul is laying the, the foundation of what it means to be right with God. Okay, so God is generous towards us, we receive this through faith. It's not because we're so great and we have it all together. Okay? Not a result of works, verse 9, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the idea is he has saved us by grace. We receive this through faith by trusting in Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. And we've been created for good works. So those good works or good deeds that we do, that doesn't save us. 
right? This is evidence, this is outflow of our new standing uh, with God. Okay, so we end our look at the text there. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so as we get into this topic, uh, the big picture we need to keep in mind is this phrase, adoption. So that is the language of Ephesians, and it comes up elsewhere as well. Adoption, adoption. And what is so important and powerful about this is this idea of someone being very deliberate and committed and thoughtful about bringing a child into their household, okay? Bringing a child into their household. And so this isn't fickle, this is faithful. This is steadfast and true, right? But don't just think of the concept of adoption. Think of something actually being adopted. It is a powerful act of love. It is deliberate. Max Lucado says this, there may be surprise pregnancies, but not surprise adoptions. Right? We've all known about the birds and the bees. Stuff happens. Oh, didn't expect that. People should have expected that, but they don't sometimes. Things aren't planned. There may be surprise of pregnancies, but not surprise adoptions. Meaning, people who adopt people into their household have been very deliberate and thoughtful. Our lives are about to change. Our love for this child is so significant that we are going to change everything that they will get to experience a new life with us. Okay? J.A. Packer writes, to those who are Christ's, the holy God is a loving father, right? It's not just a title. It speaks about adoption. A loving father, they belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message, he writes. He goes on, the reigning monarch, who is God, the reigning monarch adopts waifs and strays to make princes and princesses of them. That's us. The reigning monarch, God, adopts waifs and strays to make princes of them, okay? So this is the groundwork about adoption, which is going to filter through our understanding of these three grounds of assurance, reasons we can be confident that God's promises are for us and faith is genuine. Here's number one. It's God's promise of good news, right? This is the foundational assurance that we receive, okay? And this is God in his tender-hearted mercy, being very clear and straightforward with us. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a beautiful one. It's not quite as famous as John 3.16, which we know and love, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so if people are unsure sometimes, this is a promise of God. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not possibly, you will. It is a promise of God. Now, some people wrestle with this, and there's something about human nature, and we just, we think it's, it's too good to be true. God gives us this gift in Jesus. I feel like I've got to earn something. I've got to be so morally good and, and, and I've got to have it all together all the time. It's too good to be true, but no. This is the reality of the promise. This is the first assurance. Ray Ortland explains it like this. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God not once we begin to get our act together but when we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. It's based on what Jesus has done for us, not how great you are. Wow, 
free gift. If I'm at the bedside of someone who is dying and they've got a limited amount of time left, and of course I'm a pastor, so I've been in these situations, and they are unsure of what's going to happen when they meet their maker, what do you think the first thing I do is? Hey, tell me your curriculum vitae. Tell me your resume. How good have you been? How many charities have you given to? How many times have you opened the door? How many times have you gone on a mission trip? How perfect is your worship attendance? Do you think I say that? No. I cut right to the heart of the matter. Romans 10, 9, John 3, 16. Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, this free gift that he might pay the price for our sin and we are right at a peace with God. That's where the gold is. And so everything else flows and is based upon this number one of God's promise of good news. Number two, the Holy Spirit communicating to us that we have been adopted as children of God. Now, the first one is the ground upon which everything else is based. This is, seems kind of like, what in the world does that mean? It's probably the most misunderstood. It's the Holy Spirit communicating to us through our experience and really impressing on our heart and mind that we are children of God. So this is subjective, okay? So it's also important, not everyone has this feeling or experience. It's not necessary. Some people will experience this, other people will not. But for those who do have this experience of the Holy Spirit just really impressing upon their soul that they have been adopted into the family, it's a really powerful experience for them. One of the examples from history is uh, Blaise Pascal, who was the, the you know, famous thinker, died in 1662. And he, when he died, someone found that he had something sewn into the inside of his jacket pocket. And it was, it was uh, a poem based on his conversion to Christianity. Uh, and he had this like two-hour, powerful, dramatic experience. Here's what he writes. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers nor of the s- scholars. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and thy God, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is to be found only by the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the soul of man, righteous Father. The world hath not known thee, but I have known the joy, 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 tears of joy. That's Pascal. Joy, 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 tears of joy. So he seemed to experience what we will soon sing in that hymn from Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So we experience that. Some of you will, some of you won't. That's okay. But when it happens, it's very confirming. Number three, Evidence of growing holiness. This is the third ground or thing that should give us confidence. Evidence of growing holiness. J.A. Packer, continuing what he'd written before, says he, God, impels us to act up to our position as royal children, remember that we've been adopted, by manifesting the family likeness. So the king and father adopts us in our household to make us princes and princesses, impels us to live in the family likeness. Ephesians that we read talks about being holy, right? Also, chapter 2, verse 10, the idea of doing good works. But here's the thing, and let's be honest. This point, which is supposed to give us assurance and which is supposed to make us feel confident, actually makes a lot of people feel the opposite. They say, wait a second, Jesus said, not everyone who said to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'm so aware of all the times I fall short. Or Jesus' words in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, sometimes, but there's so many times I just think that everything's falling apart and I'm really doing a horrible job. And so passages like this 
or evidences like this of growing holiness, we are so aware of our lack of holiness that we think, no, it's not for us. But here's the thing, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. The fact that you feel like that is actually evidence of growing holiness. Okay? The fact that you feel, I'm not quite where I should be. I'm not as loving as I should. I'm so aware of my own sin and brokenness. I've got such a far ways to go. If that is you, that's actually evidence of growing holiness. Do you want to know who doesn't do that? People who are, Ephesians 2 verse 5, spiritually dead in Christ. They don't do that. People feel that way who are alive in Christ. And it's evidence of genuine holiness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start listing a few things in this category, evidence of growing holiness. And I'm guessing that for a lot of you, a lot of the categories I'm about to share, you haven't thought of in this way before. Okay? But if you identify with even one of these, and if you believe the promises, John 3.16, Romans 10.9, this is evidence that you are adopted into the family of God. Evidence that your faith is genuine. Here's the first one. An awareness of when we sin against God and asking forgiveness. Are you ever aware of sinning against God and ask for forgiveness? Join the club. What does David pray? Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Psalm 51. Or 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even an awareness of sin, asking for forgiveness, is evidence of genuine faith. Do you want to know who doesn't do that? People who are dead in sin. People who do do that are people who are being genuine, who are alive in Christ. Next, striving against sin. James 4, 7, resist the devil. That's what it says. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. But are you engaged in the act of resistance, even if broken, even if partial, even if sometimes half-hearted? Well, guess what? You know who doesn't do that? People who are dead in their sin and trespasses. People who do do that are people who are alive in Christ. It is evidence of growing holiness. Third, sincerely desiring God's grace. Do you have that sincere desire? Right, And we hear those words from Psalm 42, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Do you want to know who doesn't do that? People who are spiritually dead. Do you want to know who does do that? People who are alive in Christ. It is evidence of genuine growth in holiness. Next, appreciating what Jesus has done for you. You just appreciate it. There's a value to that. Paul, Philippians 3.8, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Who in the world says or feels something like that? Not someone who's spiritually dead, but someone who is alive in Christ. It's evidence of genuine growing holiness. Next, to love God's people and to serve sacrificially alongside of them. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. And so any act of love that we give, any way that we serve sacrificially alongside others, do we do it as much as we should? No, of course not. Do we do it sometimes? Absolutely. And so that is evidence of genuine holiness and growth. What about to sincerely call out to God in need? I love that from Mark 9, 24, the father who's desperate, I believe, help my unbelief. Was there ever a more honest prayer than that? 
I believe, help my unbelief. I realize that I'm so partial. Even my faith is faulty and sinful. Help my unbelief. Do you know who doesn't cry out like that in honesty? People who are spiritually dead. People who do are people who are alive in Christ. It is evidence of growing holiness. Next, to long for Jesus' return. Even just calling out for the return of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul writes, Our Lord, come. I think about the day of Jesus' return. I think about him making all things new, putting an end to tears, pain, violence, crying out. I long for that day. If you long for that day, do you want to know who doesn't do that? People who are spiritually dead. People who long for that are those who are alive in Christ. It is evidence of growing holiness. Do you desire faithfulness? Next. First Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul... Right? He's imitating Jesus, and these people know him. They, they maybe haven't met Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate him. The act of imitation. Seek to grow in faithfulness. And sometimes we feel we're not where we should be, but the desire of imitation as we seek to grow and take baby steps, however stumbling, is a sign of genuine faith. Well, I came across a great cartoon recently. I had to share it with you from Best Christian Memes. Here it is. It's based on this verse. It says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. On the one side, you see Christ, you know, represented as Spider-Man. Then there's Paul on the right. He's got a Spider-Man costume on. Then there's you and me in the middle with a really sad, (laughs) weird kind of version of a Spider-Man costume. Us trying to imitate Paul who's imitating Christ. Look how sad that, that, that costume is, right? And so you might at first see, okay, that guy has no resemblance to Jesus, maybe to Paul, but not to Christ. This person is so... Early in in the process of discipleship, but that's us. And guess what? It is a sign of genuine faithfulness. Next, to grow in spirit-filled character. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we struggle, and sometimes it takes a while. But you want to know what? People who are spiritually dead don't experience growth? Have you looked at your life, even one part of your life, and say, you know what? I'm more patient than I was 10 years ago. I'm more at peace in Christ than I was 10 years ago. I'm able to demonstrate greater self-control or something than I was 10 years ago. Jordan, who doesn't have that progress? People who are spiritually dead. But those who are alive in Christ, built on the promises of Romans 10, 9, John 3, 16, it's evidence of genuine faithfulness. Finally, to persevere in these things until the end. Perseverance matters. Keeping at it over the long haul. 2 Timothy 4.7, the apostle writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. People who are spiritually dead don't do that. People who are alive in Christ, Ephesians 2.5, they do that. And it is evidence of growing holiness. And so as we think back on that list, is there even just one on that list that you identified with as you affirm the promises of Romans 10, 9 and John 3, 6? If there's even one, that is evidence of growing holiness in your life and should be assurance and confirmation deep within you that, yes, the promises of God are for me. I am adopted into the household of God, and when I get to the gates of heaven, I will not experience an unpleasant surprise. Some people might never feel assurance. For others, it might take a while, and that's okay. Salvation is based on Jesus, not on how you feel. Okay, he's the Savior, not us. It's based on Jesus. Michael Reeves says, 
when all seems broken, uncertain, or wrong, remember God the unchanging who, through it all, cannot be broken, uncertain, or wrong. He is trustworthy and true. There's a young man named Carter. Carter um, didn't have a home, and he was spending time with uh, the Kippert family, and he needed, he needed a family. And I found this video of Carter. He's, a, he's at the Kippert's on Christmas morning, and they give him a gift. And as a part of that gift, there's a letter telling him uh, that they want to adopt him. Uh, it's pretty emotive, but I think it really drives home the power of what we are talking about when we get adopted into the household of God. Here it is. Carter, this is our most recent picture of, of our family. All of us would love for you to be in the next picture and to be part of our family. Carter, would you like to be a kid and be in our son and brother? <laughs> what do you think, buddy? We're going to adopt you, Carter. We love you, buddy. Now you can stay here forever. Friends, the power of adoption. Do you want us to do adopt you? Yes. Thank you very much. Tears of joy. We love you, buddy. I love you. Now you can stay here forever. There may be surprise pregnancies, but there are no surprise adoptions. Think of the power of this imagery. There's someone who's adopted to it. Sometimes they question whether they are loved, or perhaps at first, but over time, as they're under their parents or one of the parents or the couples, their care, they start to experience it more and more. Do they feel secure? Maybe not at first, but over time, they start to see the dependability and the care. When they sometimes have disagreements with their parents or don't understand the wisdom that is going on or struggle with this or that, does that mean they're immediately cast out of the house? No. Adoptive love is stronger than that. Our father is anything but fickle. We've talked before about Satan, how he was the father of lies. Jesus says he is the father of lies. And do you want to know one of the biggest lies that he says to the people of God? Not enough. (laughs) Look at yourself in the mirror. All the stuff you think, all the stuff you do, that mistake you made, that's it. Have you read the Bible? I've read it. I know it's in there. and You mess up that so much. You think you're going to stand before your heavenly father and he's going to welcome you. (laughs) What an idiot you are. No, he's the liar. That's false. Christ is true. His promises are certain. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In Christ you are adopted into the household of God. And it is not a fickle thing. He's the liar. John Bunyan wrote, Come and welcome to Jesus Christ, and the whole book was built on John 6, 37. Based on Jesus' words, and I'll read them in the King James Version, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I will in no wise cast out. And so Bunyan made this dialogue between these two people, someone who is really struggling with assurance and confidence. Oh, no, there's no way. (laughs) that I'm adopted into the family of God. There's no way that all that's for me. I'm not a genuine follower. And Jesus, based on John uh, 6, 37, here's the narrative. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. 
but I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you, but I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you, I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you, but I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you, I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. Such is the grace of God who has adopted us forever. There may be surprise pregnancies, but not surprise adoptions. All glory to our heavenly King, who is also our Father, whose arms are steadfast and sure, and whose very arms are a fortress of assurance. Praise be to God. Amen.